Now, ad admittedly, uh, you have to be very cautious, uh, but I think we'd all agree, where would the world be uh, without Craig and his list? Um, I've certainly done uh, my fair share of um, uh, Craig's listing. It's amazing what you can sell on there. It's also amazing what you can buy. It's, it's also a place that kind of, um, you know, has some odd things on it. Thought I'd show you some of the odd things that I found. Uh, this guy is offering uh, to pay 40 grand a year for someone to attend Harvard for him. Um, you'll see here, uh, age doesn't matter. You just have to be a male since I'm a male. Looking for someone to attend Harvard, pay 40 grand a year, and then 10,000 if you graduate. I mean, I'm kind of thinking that, that might be worth uh, responding to. Uh, when we meet, you'll have to ask to be signed a non-disclosure agreement, et cetera, et cetera. So th there's things like this, you know, where people are kind of looking for um, services. There's also uh, some of these things. Um, this is the, uh, the free robot that makes rice on Craigslist. Um, and uh, I'm sure that this is like the dream uh, Christmas gift that all of you could wish for. Uh, actually, this past year, uh, my mom's side of the family did a Craigslist Christmas. Uh, so you only had uh, X amount of dollars and your gift had to come from Craigslist. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I just noticed, by the way, that um, my gift was won by my uh, brother-in-law, Nate Makowitz. And it just so happens that I just saw my gift in the garage sale pile for We Love St. Charles. True story. It's back here. So I appreciate the love there, brother. And finally, um, this is uh, also the, the old uh, Gene Simmons kiss chair, which is what all of us need uh, sitting in our kitchen repertoire. Um, you actually sit on that, apparently. Um, now, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have, uh, how many of you guys have never sold one thing on Craigslist before, just so we can kind of point you out? Okay, so like 10% of us have never, okay? Those are the same folks that don't own a computer, and it's totally cool and understandable. Um, I want to share with you my biggest Craigslist mistake ever, if you don't mind. Uh, we had, uh, my wife and I just purchased a new vehicle, and um, that in and of itself, I realized, is a mistake, because when, whenever you buy a brand new car off the, off the dealership, you put one mile on that thing, and it already loses like $4,000 worth of value. Didn't think about that, didn't realize it, never will do it again anyway. I decide uh, three or four months after making that mistake that what would be really good is if I put an ad on Craigslist and try to rent out my vehicle um, and then kind of do a lease purchase, you know, so I'll rent out my vehicle, that person will then eventually purchase my vehicle and, uh, and you know, we'll be all gone with the brand new vehicle purchase and mistake covered. And so I, I met, uh, you know, a very um, fine individual off Craigslist, very uh, trusting guy it seemed and and, um, you know, built a bit of a relationship. We signed some contracts, uh, exchanged driver's license. I mean, I had his social security card. I mean, I, I felt like, okay, this is a very good arrangement. Well, what happened as time went along, and my mistakes continue to compile on this, and I hope you understand and see this as vulnerability. Um, this guy kept saying he was going to buy my vehicle, and so he said he had to keep, you know, save, saving the funds for the monthly payments to put a down payment so that he could get the loan. And being the trusting individual that I am, I figured that, that that's what was happening. Um, and so we get six, seven months in. I haven't been paid a dollar for my van, and I'm still hanging on to hope that he's one day going to buy it. I soon realized that this thing has now shifted, um, that actually I think, I think he, he's taking advantage of me. 
And uh, I think that he's taking advantage of me, and I'm still stupid enough to believe his last uh, plea to me that his father is now going to get involved, put the loan in his name, et cetera, et cetera. Well, at the end of all of this, um, I finally just say, hey, man, I need my van back so that I can figure out. I said, hey, how many miles are on the van? He said 25,000. Um, we had given it to him at 18,000 miles. And uh, this is now 10 months later. Um, he uh, drops the van off w- without seeing me in a parking lot. This is how great this exchange went. And um, I get the van. There's uh, three or four dents in it and 45,000 miles. And he hadn't paid me a dollar. And so as I sat in my van, uh, honestly teary-eyed at my idiocy, um, I was like met with this really weird emotion of, you know what, like, I really want my money back. And um, uh, he owed me in total uh, $4,600, okay? That's quite a bit of money. And um, what I realized in that moment is how powerful debt is. Whether it's debt that's owed to you or debt that you owe, um, honestly, it consumed my thoughts for a lot of days. The staff would attest to this. Uh, There were days I would just be sorrowful over my mistakes. There were other days where uh, I would have a a hint of anger, um, and all centering around this this money that was owed and the deception that was a part of it. And... uh, what ended up happening is I came to this point where I was either going to pursue him in court or let it go. And I just came to this place where I was like, look, I, I do not want to spend weeks and weeks in court um, chasing debt that ultimately, ultimately was my fault. And so um, I, I just sent him an email and I said, um, just want you to know that uh, I forgive you and uh, you don't owe me a dollar and uh, I've learned some lessons through it all. I share all that just to bring you into one of my many stupid mistakes, um, but also to point out that debt is a very, very powerful thing. Some of you guys are underneath uh, tremendous amounts of it, and so you feel the weight of it. Others of you are owed tremendous amounts of it, and so you're under the weight of it for another reason. In a strange twist of events in our story of Exodus, we turn to the topic of restitution And some of you are immediately like, what in the world is that? We're going to get there. You'll remember last week's um, tremendously long journey through uh, an interesting set of rules and regulations. Well, tonight it continues. And um, on one hand, I'd like to say that it gets easier. um, And I'll just go ahead and answer it and say it doesn't. It gets weirder, stranger. Um, On the other hand, I appreciate it. We've been talking all week like, so why are we teaching this passage? And uh, the beauty of passages like Exodus, uh, the end of 21 and all of chapter 22, is that it encourages all of us in the study of God's word, uh, that it's all there for a reason. And so as we study a book and try to understand what God is doing and building his community and developing a nation that he has called his own, uh, showing them how to live amongst each other, what the governing law would be, and now how to live under this premise of restitution, I think we understand more of the character of God, less than I think all of you would think that we would. So there's uh, some sheets of paper underneath your chair. I'd like you to pick those up. There's also some pens uh, on every other chair. You'll need a pen, so if you don't have a pen, borrow one from the purse next to you if there's not one on the chairs. 
So if you still need a pen, just kind of raise your hand and some very awesome mom will pass one down and probably a lipstick container. Uh, uh, So these 10 uh, numerical um, pieces on your paper will be guided through later, but but first, before we um, journey through this, I want to just define restitution, okay? So here's what restitution means, along with the child that is uh, crying apparently. Uh, Restitution is compensation for injury or loss. This is just straight by definition, the, a restoration of something lost or stolen, returning something that was lost or stolen to the owner, and finally, payment that is made to someone for damage or trouble. It's, it's paying back. It's something has happened, and now you have to take care of it. The situation has to be resolved. In uh, my situation, it would have been uh, that individual giving me back what was owed to me, the debt that he had to pay. That's restitution, okay? Now, what God is getting ready in this chapter, uh, this very interesting chapter, to set up and structure is restitution and not residency. Residency would be a a corporate um, punishment through imprisonment. That's what residency would be in at least our discussion. So instead, God doesn't institute a prison system in the nation of Israel. He instead institutes a policy of restitution. So before we look at the text, here are the benefits of restitution, which I don't think many of us would agree with um, by our life. Number one, um, restitution instead of residency compensates victims more generously and more immediately. And you'll see that as we work through these laws. So when people work through things together and not just sending folks off to prison for the lack thereof, the situations actually restore themselves quite a bit quicker. The second reason why this is beneficial is it requires the offend, offender to deal directly with the person who was wronged. And I wish we embraced this church. Uh, you'll hear us often communicate here our disdain of gossip and judgment. And the reason for that is we desire so um, desperately for people to work their issues uh, out with one another because what we've learned through many, many case studies is there's so much beauty when individuals sit down confess their sin to one another, and let God uh, restore the relationship. And so one of the beauties of this issue of restitution versus sending someone off to imprisonment is, is the person who has offended that person, like, there's like some eye looking into. Uh, there's a premise of forgiveness and debt that will be paid. The third thing, why, is it permits a repentant offender to continue a productive life quickly, right? So you're not sent away for 9, 10, 11, sometimes a life in prison. You're actually uh, getting to... Uh, serve back in society, play a vital role in society after those offenses have been repented of. I think we'd all agree it's fair enough. Finally, number four, it does not require society to provide housing, food, or clothing for the duration of the offender's imprisonment, which I know for many of you, you'd have a big political amen, okay? So this is why um, God in his structuring for the nation of Israel desires in this chapter to, to set up a structure like this. Well, Restitution also has its issues, its problems maybe, or at least uh, from uh, a vantage point anyway. The richer the criminal, the easier it is to make restitution. You'll see that when we go through the laws. If you've got grip, you can pay this off pretty quick, okay? And so then the thought is you can just keep paying for the things that you owe, the things that you wrong, the people that you sin against or offend, and then you're back in society, okay? The other potential issue with restitution is that imprisonment offers society the protection of keeping offenders out of circulation, right? 
So by taking repeat offenders in our system and putting them somewhere, then we're at least getting them away uh, and out of circulation. So we would certainly um, name sexual offenses uh, as one of the primary uh, benefits, right? That, that these sexual predators aren't um, luring around and trying to uh, endanger our children. Now, I set all that up because the passages that are about to be read are really weird, okay? And if we don't understand the direction or what's the, the premise, I think we're going to struggle. But because of all these things, we've decided to teach 10 principles that these 10 sections in this long chapter teach. So allow us to not just see the text tonight, but also to get practical. So if you don't have your Bibles open to Exodus, the end of chapter 21, we're going to begin with this first section in verse 33. Okay, here we go. This will relate to all of you. When a man opens a pit, (laughs) that's not your armpit, men, um... I know you you do well with that. When a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit, not many of you have ever dug a pit either, and does not cover it and an ox or or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. We understand. He shall give money to its owner. You see the paying back. And the dead beast shall be his. I love the calling a donkey or an ox a beast. Now here's here's a classic one. Verse 35, when one man's ox butts another, as they do, so that it dies. That's a powerful but. Then they, sh- uh, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead, be- uh, the dead beast also uh, shall- they shall share. Or, verse 36, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, as we saw last week, and its owner has not kept it, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. So the issue in this first section is what to do when um, beasts are in play and harming others, and also when one happens upon another's property. Well, here's the principle I think we can learn from this. Principle number one, when something you own negatively affects someone else, take responsibility and make it right. I'm sure this has never happened to you. You park a wee bit close in the Walmart parking lot. And, um, you know, unbeknownst to you, you forgot that your door actually opens, right? It's not like a Lamborghini that somehow, like, just drifts in the air. Uh, You, in a rush, probably texting or on your phone, realize that your door, like, swings open. And so you swing it open in a rush and uh, very substantially ding the Ford Explorer that's sitting next to you, right? You have a moment here, right? What do you do? Well, many of you uh, look both ways to see if anyone saw it. That's your first clue, right? Is anyone sitting in the car? Nope, look both ways. No one saw me, right? So then, then the next thought is, okay, I, I'm sure that this little ding isn't a big deal, right? I, I'm, sure that, uh, I'm sure that there's other little dings. In fact, you're looking for them, right? You're like, look, look, this thing is tattered with dings, right? It's like three or four. Five won't hurt, right? In fact, let's give it a six just for good measure. I mean, this is the process that we go through, Okay? Well, what restitution would say, what I would even argue caring for one another would say, is you leave a handy-dandy note right there on that car, even for the littlest of dings. You take responsibility. You don't blame it on the fact that someone had called and they were inconveniencing you with their call. Oh, if you just wouldn't have called me, I wouldn't have done that. You instead say, I have wronged here. And you know what? That ding... 
it doesn't look that great in the black paint. So I'm at least to you going to offer in all sincerity, even hoping that you would take me up on my offer to help pay for that ding. That's one example. Let's get a bit more personal. Children. How many of you guys have kids? Okay. So let's look at the principle again. When something you own, you're like, I own my children, kind of, basically. When something you own negatively affects someone else, take responsibility and make it right. Uh, I'll just speak for my kids. My kids, um, actually, let's leave my daughter out of it. Um, (laughs) My boys have made some errant decisions in their childhood, okay? Um, Heidi's come, you know, to me before and said, hey, Mark, you need to be aware tonight in ML Kids, uh, Maddox kissed a girl, okay? And I'm not sure where Rico Suave came from. Uh, I don't know, like, what... I don't know if it's the California blonde hair he has, you know. I don't know if you saw him the night he's wearing, like, these shades, you know. Um, but, but that certainly, you know, that action, even though he argues that it was a, a brotherly gospel kiss, um, <laughs> that action was not appropriate, you know. And so, so what do you do in that moment? Like, as a parent, it's easy just to say kids be kids. And it's another thing to not only sit your child down but then sit your child down with the other child, explain the offense, and talk through with both sets of parents and kids that this was an errant decision. How about not just in ML Kids, but just you have a children over and there's hitting and slapping and name-calling involved. Listen, this runs the gamut through the school system and the, the folks that your kids are around on sports teams. How great of a teaching that we can communicate with our kids by dealing with their issues and teaching them from the onset to take responsibility. You know what it teaches them? That they need to own their sin, and then it enlightens the gospel in their heart. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? But instead, what do we teach our kids? It's someone else's fault. Oh, little Billy, I bet he started it. Instead of looking our children in the eye and saying, what did you do? No matter what it was that you've done in this situation, it could have been handled in a different way. Okay. So in this first section, I think the thing we take from it is when we do something that affects someone else's stuff, we need to stand up and take responsibility. And some of you right now have situations in your life where that's the case, and you've been negating it, passing the buck, and hoping they wouldn't notice. That is not the way we can communicate the gospel to the world. Section two, this gets interesting. If a man steals an ox, as you all do, or a sheep, and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox. You see this? I mean, this is, this is like massive repayment for stealing and killing. And four sheep for four sheep. I like the valuing of animals here, right? If a thief is found breaking in and is struck, look at this, this is hilarious to me, and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But look at this. But if the sun has risen on him, in other words, if you can see the thief, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay, okay? If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. The theme I want you you guys to keep seeing is God is setting up a situation for relationships to work together to reconcile their differences, okay? You're like, what do we learn from this? Principle number two, let's put it this way. The damage of thievery reaches far deeper than surface level consequences. So uh, I've been waiting for this moment all night. Uh, 
How many of you have ever stolen something here in this room? Okay. And several liars. I'm not a theft. I just lie. Okay. Fair enough. At least you can admit it, right? Uh, I was seven years old uh, riding bikes with my good friend Sean Thomas in Waverly, Iowa. And uh, we were in the store and uh, he was not a believer. Um, And he said, hey, Mark, listen, why don't we go into the store and take some bazooka gum. Uh, gum. You guys remember the bazooka gum? It's like five cents in the store, and you ate it, and then you had to go to the dentist because it, like, bit off three of your teeth. You guys remember that? It's, like, so incredibly hard. It's like eating a peppermint for gum, right? And so um, very, very slyly, as I was at seven years old, uh, I, you know, snuck around the corner, waited for the clerk. This is, you know, pre-cameras in every store. Snuck around, grabbed, you know, a little bazooka piece and stuffed it in my in my little pocket, and just felt awesome, you know? I mean, I felt hardcore. Uh, I rode that bike like it was Knight Rider on the way home, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like, it was just beautiful. Um, well, then I got home, and I, I literally walked in the house and just saw my mom, just seeing my mom, and maybe you'll relate to this, okay? Just seeing her. It was like she could, like, peer right through my soul without me saying a word or without her saying a word, and I just started bawling and held out the bazooka. You know what I mean? Have you ever had that moment with your parents? It's like, I, ah! you know? Son, where did that piece of gum come from? You know, and I'm, I'm literally bawling. I, I stole it, Mom, you know, and I'm just crying. And then she says, let's get in. Let's get in the car. And so maybe you experienced this as a kid, walk in the gas station, my little piece of bazooka, uneaten, right? And she takes me up to the, to the clerk. She says, go ahead. You know, so I have to stand there, hand him his piece of bazooka and five cents and apologize. But the reality is that whole transition continues to this day to be a memory in my mind. That's how powerful thievery is. Uh, I taught on this when stealing MP3s was big. I'm sure none of you have ever done that before. Um, never got on, stolen MP3, and then therefore downloaded 65 viruses on your computer, right? Um, it affects so much. Uh, some of you are phenomenal at stealing time from others. You're consistently late, and by, communi- and by being late, you communicate your time doesn't matter, and therefore, I'm going to go ahead and steal those 15 minutes, right? Uh, there's many things that we steal, but here's what I know about thievery is it creates and reveals the depths, no matter what it is, no matter how you justify it, whether it's taxes, whether it's the smallest of stuff, the biggest of stuff, what it reveals in your heart is you are not content, you're not content, you need more, and then therefore the lack of gratitude manifests itself in thievery. I desperately need this MP3, and so I'm going to justify it in my mind that since everyone else is doing it, I'm going to do it too. I've told the Ecuador team, when we go down to Ecuador and they sell those little pirated $1 DVDs, I've never bought one. It, like, it bothers me. I was like, like, those are pirated DVDs, but look, it's just the culture. Everyone's doing it. Okay. And, and, like, somehow that's an exemption, you know? That we're going to walk up to Christ and he's going to be like, hey, you know, pretty sure you shouldn't have been stealing, but Jesus, everyone else was doing it, so it makes it right. I mean, that's peer pressure 101, right? Okay? 
Thievery affects so much, and that's the point of God addressing it here in restitution. Section number three, here we go. We get to add the vineyard. Look at this. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, okay, so this would be a shepherd or someone who's watching a flock, and they let their flock meander, okay, in another person's uh, field, or lets his beast loose, and it feeds in another man's field, this is like those who walk your dog and allow them to poo in other people's yard. That's what, that's what the equivalent is here. <laughs> Listen, I speak quite oftenly here about my, you know, my disdain for pets, and, and that's one of them, I, I, you know, and God, God bless them, and I know most pets were created by God, but, <laughs> but there's sometimes I'm wondering, like, you know, when, when the person's walking his dog, and he's, you know, that dog is there for, like, minutes, doing his thing on my, on my yard, you know? And I'm just thinking to myself, like, like, you know, how is this right, you know? Like, I don't have a dog for this exact reason. I don't want animal feces on my lawn, you know? It's that equivalent. Let's move on, okay? <laughs> if this happens, he shall, middle of verse 5, make restitution from the, beast, uh, from, uh, from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. He should make up for it. He should pay it back. Verse 6, if fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Well, as I look at this and try to understand what we can learn, the principle that can be taken away, I think it all comes back to laziness and negligence. That's why I uh, make this as our third principle. Negligence and laziness impacts everyone who is around you. Uh, The issue here is a overseer of a flock who has gotten negligent or lazy and has allowed his flock uh, to graze in fields by, right? I'm not so sure uh, what the greater issue is in our culture right now, uh, especially among young men. It's like they've taken the gospel that it's not our work but his, that he's done the work and we uh, get to reap the benefits and And that certainly is the gospel, that it's not our works that save us. It's like they've taken that and then applied that to all life. That then no work needs to be involved. Listen, Jesus, he's done it all. Like, he's done all the work, so I need now not work. That is not biblical. Many of you guys know my story in college. One of the greatest, listen, one of the greatest witnesses to my football team in college was hard work. What I learned is it was one of the greatest reasons why these men respected me initially. It ended up being because I loved them, cared about them, knew their name, knew their story. But initially it was they saw a hard-working man and it built respect. In your workplaces, the people that you're overseeing, the people that you're journeying with, hard work, certainly balanced with Sabbath rest in the Lord, is a beautiful thing, and I'll guarantee you earns the respect of the non-believer. It is a rarity. Could we agree? So young men, especially in this room, I call you out on your laziness and say join in with the mission of the gospel. Put your hand to the plow and don't turn back. What Christ says is anyone who turns back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Can somebody amen with me here, please, all right? All right, so let's move on here to section number quattro. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe. Okay, so you go to your neighbor and you're like, hey, take care of this, whatever this may be. 
and it is stolen from the man's house. Okay, so they're like, yeah, I'll take care of it, no problem. And I'm going to leave it on the front lawn and put a free sign on it, right? That's essentially what's going on. Then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to who? To God, okay, enter God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. I love the image here of God being the final judge. For every breach of trust, verse 9, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. I want you guys to see this theme. The theme is the repayment of what? Of more. Do you guys see this? Okay. If you steal an ox and that ox dies, you're going to give back five. You steal a sheep, it's going to be four. In this case, you give your neighbor something, a thief takes it, it's double. It's showing the payment and how significant these relationships are to God. Verse 10, if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or... How many of you guys have ever given your neighbor a donkey? Just so we can clarify. Are you serious? You seriously have? Okay, awesome. I was really excited there for a moment. And you were like, you were going for it. I mean, you're like, yes, I have. I've given my neighbor three donkeys just yesterday, right? If a man gives uh, to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe. So the equivalent would be when your neighbors watch your cats, okay? Um, (laughs) And it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it. An oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put in his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, taking responsibility, and he shall not make restitution. But, verse 12, if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. Together, working through the situation, 13, finally, if it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been Torn, and I'm sure you're wondering in your mind, where in the world is there a principle from this outside of don't watch my neighbor's cats? Here it is, number four. When you serve your neighbor, serve as you would want to be served. Here's what happens. And I would say that this applies both in our neighborhoods and also just in general. When we serve, often it comes with a certain attitude, at least I'm serving, So I was charged on a mission trip, uh, and this was a horrible move on everyone's part, but I was charged on a mission trip to uh, re-shingle a home. Okay, some of you guys have heard this story. I was a youth pastor. Uh, I was 23, had never even been on a roof before, okay? And praise God, the mission organization gave me six middle schoolers (laughs) to do this task, five of which were females, okay? Okay? So it's me, and I still remember his name was Danny, okay? Little seventh grade, you know, boy, about four, six, okay? And these five middle school girls, and they drop all these shingles off, and a couple, hang, you know, a couple hammers are like, hey, Mark, uh, can you reshingle this home? Sure, you know, no problem. Literally, that's what happened. So we start uh, tearing off this roof. Come to find out, thankfully, there were uh, six layers of shingles on this roof, Okay? So as I start working, here's what starts going on in my mind. God, like, if this is suffering for the gospel. If there's suffering, it's being around this many middle schoolers for, you know, continual amount of time. And in the heat, you know, it was like 83 those days, 
you know, de-shingling a house, right? And so what happens is, in your mind, you start applauding yourself, and then you start cutting corners. Because you think in your mind, at least I'm serving. Well, I started cutting corners so much, listen, I noticed that there was like a little bit of a wet spot on the roof. But I was like, look, no big deal. Here's what we're going to do, kids. We're just going to cover that up with shingles, and it's going to be all good. Problem is, the next day, I stepped where that was, okay, and my whole entire leg ended up in the kitchen, <laughs> literally. And, you know, it's, it stopped, thankfully, okay, but I had one leg up on the roof, one leg in the kitchen, and, and then they drop off some wood for me to repair this, you know, like I, like I know what I'm doing. This is what I'm saying. When we start serving, we start justifying in our mind, at least we're doing God's work, and we start cutting corners. What if we served people, served our neighbors, served our friends, served in general as we would desire to be served, and that's no corners cut? That's the premise here. Think of the beauty of that. If Christians weren't known for their service, but for their excellent, genuine, sincere service. They didn't just love, man. They, they poured out. That's the premise here. When you serve your neighbor, take care of his stuff. You know, don't leave it out in the yard and put a free sign on it. Take care of it. When things go awry, there's restitution to be made. In a, short, in a shorter section, section 5, if a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, which, you know, like it sounds a little different than borrowing a tool, doesn't it? Like this sounds alive, Okay. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner shall uh, uh, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the uh, if the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If he was hired, it came for its hiring fee, which is an issue of responsibility again. Okay, here's our next principle from borrowing. What God is trying to teach His people here is if you borrow, steward. The borrowed well. I'll be the first to admit uh, that I still have my brother-in-law Brian's uh, plumbing wrench. Okay? And I don't, I know that I have it because I haven't given it back to him. I have no idea where it is. Okay? It's probably in my kind of garage, which doubles as a shed. Okay? Under piles of who knows what. Right? That would be an example of not taking care of the borrowed, not borrowing and then immediately giving back. Um, I think there's actually some deep-rooted issues on this principle in particular. We've become a culture of borrowers. And I'm not just now talking about money, though. That certainly applies. I mean, um, the debt that is incurred in this body alone, if we were to add it up, t- tally it, put it on a screen, we were to just one by one, how much debt do you have? How much debt do you have? How much debt? Isn't it insurmountable to think about what that number would be from here tonight? Someone take a guess at what you think the number would be from this room, how much debt we have in this room. Someone throw out a guess. Uh, $20? Probably not. Um, good guess. $3 million? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's in the hundreds of... You know, like, carry the one. I mean, it's, you know, 50, 60 million in debt in this room, maybe. Okay? Plus or minus. A lot. 
we become a culture of borrowers, thinking that somehow that's, that's the best way to live. I'm not saying there's not a time to borrow. And I'm not now making a, a notion that we shouldn't ever borrow. I'll talk more about it as the night goes on. When we borrow, though, we need to steward, steward that borrowing well. How many of you guys have taken very, very poor care of things that you've borrowed? Uh, I also want to liken this just for a moment on um, dating relationships. Though borrowing may be a little bit of a strange term to add to it, when uh, a young man comes into my daughter's life for the first time and I've approved and notarized um, the letter um, that he can uh, go to Hardy's with her um, for 20 minutes. That man is essentially, for those periods of time, borrowing my daughter until he marries her. See what I'm saying? So to those of you that are dating, the borrowing piece like works in so many different facets. Okay? When you borrow, steward that borrowing well. In the sixth section, again, another um, shorter section. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed, and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. This is interesting, right? This isn't, this isn't the bumper sticker Christian verse, right? Okay? You don't see Joy FM like the 99.1 and... Joy F. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. You know, I mean, you don't, it's not, it's not there, right? Here's the principle, though. Look at the depth of the word. Here's the principle, okay? There are tremendous consequences from premarital sex. Listen, obviously, this is a whole teaching in and of itself. I want to focus on just one of them. Staying in unhealthy relationships way too long because of premarital sex. the moment that kind of intimacy is brought into a relationship, there's a certain component of locking that relationship in together, experiencing something very powerful together that will cause a woman who should run to stay and cause a man who should be learning how to lead to continue to lead the relationship in folly. The consequences of premarital sex are tremendous. The pain, the hurt, the agony involved, and yet I say to all of you, grace is yours in Christ. For those of you that are married now and had tremendous um, angst in the past, very sexually active relationships, grace is yours. Even if you've never taken time to repent of that sin, because now you're married with children, you've never really taken time to say, God, listen, for all those years and all those women or men that I hurt, please forgive me. I'll also say to those of you that are in relationships now, grace is yours. Women, take courage and run. Just because you have given that man a piece of yourself does not mean that you need to stay with that man so that he can continue to take more pieces of you. Repent and run. Men, I would say the same. 
If there are females that are with you for whatever reason, or if you're feeding the relationship to feed your lusts, run, repent, allow God to restore your heart, and prepare your heart to lead and direct a relationship toward Christ. The effects of premarital sex are tremendous. Tremendous consequences, and yet somehow, grace is ours. Section number seven, this gets interesting. You see how, like, this is like a grab bag of rules. You know, it's like, in the, in the premise of restitution, like all of a sudden, God's just like, and now this, and now this, and now you get a house, and you get a house. Verse 18, look at this. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. We go from virgins to sorceresses, right? You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Look at this. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Also not on Joy FM, whoever... Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. There's a lot of principles we can pull from this. I want to pull just one, okay? Substituting something in God's place is a life and death reality. Sorceresses are not allowed to live. Why? Because as God is building a covenant community... What sorcery is doing is it's putting all kinds of other things, witchcraft and the like, in front of God, substituting the role and the position that God should, should play as the sole intercessor and the sole director. What sorcery does is it says, no, actually we can use all kinds of other mediums to direct and guide. Animals, certainly the like, and, and in verse 20, whoever sacrificed to any other God. Look, if you put something else, substitute something else in the place of God, it is a life and death reality. That's the principle here. So some of you walk in here, have completely abandoned God, don't know God, don't care to know God. You're here because you're, you're curious, and I'm thankful that you are. I just want you to know, if you keep God at arm's bay, that is a life and death decision. It is a life and death reality. However, when God is invited, when the substitutes are killed and God is placed on the rightful place on his throne in your heart, that too is a life and death reality. Focus on the life. So this issue, these issues here, even in restitution though, this seems like, well, well, how is this a restitution issue? It is a complete restitution issue because if you put something else in front of God, then you will die. The premise is still true for us. We need to repent of our idolatry, receive the grace of God, and see God for where he is, sitting on his throne, robe dipped in blood, waiting to come back and return on his white horse. Section number eight. I love this. Maybe one of my favorites of this section. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I love this. You shall not mistreat any widow, come on, or fatherless child. This is our heart in this city. Love the single moms, the fatherless, the widowed. This is our desire so desperately, church. And I wish more and more that we would be an army, a facilitator of that kind of love. That looks at those, man, who have no fathers in their homes, and can come and point them to the father of the fatherless. That's our role in this city, church. 
It's one of the greatest blessings we can communicate to the culture right where they're at. Do you know the percentage, the percentages of the fatherless even in our community? Of the 500 and so families that we've served, the percentage of fatherless families is way more the majority. And yet you and I have a chance to communicate that God is the father to the fatherless. This is what he's saying, verse 23. If you do mistreat them, listen to this, and they cry out to who? To me, here comes the character of God and his compassion. I shall surely hear their cry, and my warmth will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Hello, somebody wake up with me here. If you don't love the fatherless, I'm going to kill you, and your kids will become fatherless. This is God taking some restitution up in his own hands. You guys see what I'm saying? This is how desperate the issue of love is to Father God. This is why the principle we can say is this. Remember how you've been loved by God and love like that. If that's the way we love, can you imagine that? That's why he points back to Egypt. That's why you need to remember your story, your testimony. Remember what you've been saved from. Remember the depth of his love for you, and now you love like that. We just sang about that. We want to be more like Jesus. Okay. It starts at the core issue then, and that core issue is love, church. God makes clear the penalty. A lack of love will will lead to death. Our ninth Second to last, if you lend money, verse 25, this is, again, the transition's strange. Um, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, which I think the word should be are there, but anyway, ESV, you shall not um, be like a money lender to him. This is really cool. And you shall not ex- uh, exact interest on him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. I love this. For that, is on, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am, this is God talking, compassionate. Right. Here's the beautiful principle. Look at this. I love this. Do not take advantage of those with less. The principle works the same uh, when we were talking about serving. At least I'm serving. At least I'm helping them even though I'm holding my help over their head, charging them phenomenal amounts of interest and making sure they know on a day-to-day basis that without me, they would be forgotten. Do not take advantage of those that, in your opinion, have less intelligence, in your opinion, have less resources, and in your opinion, have less money, or in your opinion, have less Jesus. We must not be people that take advantage of anyone. And finally here, number 10, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. I love this. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. You see what he's doing here? He's ending restitution by saying, listen, there's a principle that you're going to live by with me. Okay? Okay? 
Seven days it shall be with its mother, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. In verse 30, and finally, verse 31, you shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You're like, I don't have dogs. I don't have beasts. Here's the principle, number 10, and finally, look at this. God should get our first fruits, my friends. The first fruits. And you're like, okay, here, enter the tithing talk. Okay, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Is God getting your first fruits? Do you think that your wallet is his or yours? Like the moment you get that paycheck, what happens? I'll kind of wait and see what happens. We'll see when we get to the end of the month. Listen, it is a joy for my family and I, the moment I get paid, the very first check that is written, or often I, I give cash, okay? the, the first cash that is given, is, is the, the, the joy that comes from my heart in serving God by tithing, by giving. And it goes on and on and on. It's not just a tithing issue, but I'll tell you right now, what you do with money shows the depth of your heart, church. And you're like, man, I was hoping I wouldn't come to a church that would talk about money. If money is so closely aligned with our heart and our heart is the issue, then we better be start talking about it a little bit more. Somebody with me, Right? Okay, let's start talking about it a little bit more. I share with the church that 2010 was a very dark year for me. Here's why. At a lot of family leaders retreat, I confess this, and now I want to confess it to you all even in a deeper way. We had planted two churches. We were really excited. Uh, the church uh, numerically had grown to a couple hundred. We sent out about uh, 80 to 100 folks, so... We grew back down to about 100. Our average age was 17, and most people tithing in their allowance. There was a lot of things that were exciting about that season. Uh, we had launched We Love St. Charles soon after. We had launched a, our apprenticeship model, ones and twos leaders, and a lot, there was a lot of exciting stuff. But in my heart, I wasn't letting anyone in to how much I was hurting because I felt like everyone left. It was my own sin, my own error. And so what I started doing... Um, for a few months of that year was making poor decisions. And one of them was I started making up for our lack of budget by putting my family in harm's way and accruing debt to pay for things for the church. It's one thing if I had the resources and it's another thing if I didn't. So that year, uh, in the name of a good marriage retreat, guess what? The overage, I paid for. And I justified it in my mind that I was helping the church and you know where that, those dollars went? It went to a credit card. Uh, later that year, um, we uh, did a lot family leader retreat. I was trying to work the budget as best I could. I, did, I didn't want to seem like a bad leader. And so guess what I did? All the overage, put it on my credit card. Uh, thankfully, towards the end of that year, as I started to confess my sin, see the depth of my heart, see what was going on, see that I had a, a loyalty idol that I needed to confess, that, that ultimately I needed to bring some others in and confess that sin. What I realized was how powerful that stinking plastic card was. And so thankfully now I can say many years later, I haven't used a credit card since 2010. But the debt that was accrued in that season of my life put a huge burden on my family for months and months. And I would imagine that some of you guys are resonating with that. 
You've accrued some debt. You have a whole lot of stuff hanging over your shoulders. You're wondering what you're going to do. And isn't that the reality? There is no way right now that I could look at my debt and somehow just make it all go away. Though I would want to, though I right now would want to pay off my house, I can't right now make that happen. Right? I mean, I've tried selling my shoes on Craigslist. It's not going to get it done. Okay. The mortgage won't be paid. And so it reminds me of how at times helpless I am. How powerful debt is. And how much I would long to feel the freedom of it completely. On a practical side, I would just say, church, I understand there are times uh, where you have to do what you absolutely have to do. And in that same season, uh, not having enough resources, uh, we had some medical debt that we had to put on a credit card just because we, we had no other resource. I had a brother uh, say, uh, just in communicating all this, you know, that would have been an interesting time for the church to rise up and, and even just to confess that to the church and see what the church could do to, to journey alongside of people. Uh, the, the, the problem is need is all relative. Right? So like what you consider a need and what I consider a need are two different things. Debt is a powerful thing. I wish we could get out of it. All of us. The freedom that we would experience. That's why this teaching on restitution is so interesting. God recognizes the power of having to be repaid or paying back and makes at times the debt feel insurmountable. So I think people would understand how serious debt really is. It's interesting then uh, passages in Colossians that speak to the same thing in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses look at this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside Nailing it to the cross. The debt that I accrued in 2010, the debt that I have accrued uh, by having a mortgage, the debt that I've accrued in student loans, thankfully that are paid off, doesn't even come close to the amount of debt of my sin that was nailed to a cross of Scripture. It doesn't even come close. Dollars and cents don't even touch an eternity. That's what hangs in the balance. Lives for an eternity, either with God or separated from God. Do you see how costly it is? So when the scripture says that that debt was nailed to the cross, don't be thinking dollars and cents. Be thinking about your eternal life. Hanging in the balance. And look what scripture says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and the him being Christ. Tonight, we have the chance, though the reality of repayment is all around us, to celebrate a payment we can't and will never make. You and I get the chance to celebrate the purest form of the gospel, that all of our debt, insurmountable in sin, has been nailed to a cross. And so therefore, that debt is canceled, and you and Christ can stand and walk free, no matter how many dollars and cents hang over your head. Are you with me, church? And if you walked in here, thinking about all the relationships and all the ways and all the things that you have to repay, let me tell you this, there is only one form of debt 
that ultimately has been taken responsible from someone else for an eternity, and that is the person of Christ. And tonight, all of that record of debt can be canceled, all of it. Every deep sin, every dark secret you have, every piece of you, it can all be canceled. Washed clean, Scripture says, separated as far as the east is from the west. That is yours in Christ tonight. And I'm just saying, call on his name. Scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you will be saved, cleansed, freed, forgiven. And a night that seems like it's all about payment, isn't it interesting that at the end of the day, he paid it all, right? And so tonight we're going to celebrate the free church, the canceled debt people of God, by partaking in this ancient meal. This meal is for believers. Tonight we're going to take a piece of the bread and we're going to dip it in the cup. And tonight we're just going to receive, as you walk up and receive this, you thank the Lord with the depths of your heart for the work that he's done in canceling your insurmountable debt. And so church, I want to pray over us that God would stir in us hearts of gratitude, hearts longing to worship him for the work that he's done. And friends, if you're here and you've never received that, please, I pray tonight, do. God, as we respond, as we celebrate, as we give thanks and praise, would you right now remind us of the power of the gospel of the work that you have done, of what you have disarmed, of how much you have freed. I thank you, God, that you've forgiven my sins, the mistakes I've made, the sins against my family, the sins, most importantly, against you. I thank you, God, that I'm forgiven for those. You're not holding those over my head. So help me, help my friends tonight worship in spirit and in truth and in freedom. God, free us tonight from the bondage of our sin by reminding us of the debt that's been paid. Church tonight in celebration, let's respond. Come on.